gives you something to shout about. Spring's coming on. But um, spring, I don't know if it's been sprung yet, but we are uh, our, we were still in our uh, our winter sessions. We'll call it our winter sessions. How's that? Now we're going into uh, Ephesians 5. Uh, we left off at verse 17 last week. Um, the, the context was that we'd be walking wisely. And the idea of the word walk has been found throughout Ephesians, uh, especially in chapter 4 where he says, don't walk as the Gentiles. And in chapter 5 we see that we are to walk um, in love. The first few verses, as in verse 1, verse 2, it talks about imitate God. How do you imitate God? Well, you walk in love. And then in verse 8, we had a section dealing with walking in light. And the session that we had last week was the uh, walking in wisdom topic. And so we're to walk circumspectly, uh, to walk wisely, uh, redeeming the time. Buying up the time, the time that that God has given you, which is we're only here for a short time, aren't we? But that time that we have is very valuable. And we want to use it wisely. And uh, He says uh, on top of that, because the days are evil, and we can understand that we live in a time where um, uh, you can just, if you wanted to, you can turn on the news and say the days are evil. What uh, what's happening in the Middle East? Well, what's happening here in America? What's happening all across the world? A lot of crazy things, but at the same time, we know that God is in absolute, total control. Even though it looks like chaos, His plan is being cut right on through the way that uh, He so desires. And so, that's uh, where we are dealing with here is the will of God, which is found in verse 17, which really fits in with that 15 and 16, where it says, Therefore... Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And I can see how that fits in with 15 and 16, and I can see how it can be a bridge that moves into uh, verse 18 and, uh, and on down through, which is dealing with being filled with God's Spirit. Um, uh, we know that uh, one of the will of, wills of the Lord would be that we would be filled with God's Spirit. And that's part of it, but um, we'll look a little bit further of what this uh, will of the Lord is in context with 15 and 16 also. <laughs> anyway, why don't uh, we uh, go before the Lord and enter into prayer. Father, we thank You for another day that You have given us time, precious time that has been given to us. And Lord, help us to use it wisely. Help us to be filled with Your Spirit so that we would be moved along, controlled by You, being able to understand who You are and what You have for us, and that we would be able to put You on display before uh, the world. In, in uh, so many senses, we, we don't come before the whole world, each one of us, but yet uh, You have people out there that watch our lives. Um, but ultimately, we know that we're here to give you the glory. And as we search a little bit further who you're about and what your plan is and what you have for each one of us, we want to understand you. And your word helps us tremendously along with your Holy Spirit, which um, definitely is the very power to know you. 
And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the truth in verse 18 is very important because it qualifies everything that the Lord has done in His commands. By the way, we have an extra sheet up here, which Penny's going to take. <laughs> right there, I do that. There are, there's another sheet on the copier back there. Uh, let's see. Who doesn't have one? Bill doesn't have one? You do have one? I might have. Zach, could I ask you to go back and make one more copy? Would that be okay? Thanks. I think the, there's one in the copier already. Then you can take that. Um, then we'll make sure everybody has one. Um, verse 18, if you don't use verse 18 about being filled with the Spirit, then all this practical application that we're having in chapters 4 through 6 of Ephesians is going to be impossible to perform. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot do any of these commands. It'd be legalistic if we did. It would be all from the flesh. The power of the flesh really accomplishes nothing. So we we must be led by God's Spirit in everything that we do. Without the Spirit, Christians cannot walk in humility. That's one of the things that we've been told in Ephesians, that we are to be in union uh, with each other, as it says in Ephesians 4. Uh, we're to walk in love. We're to walk in the light. We are to walk in uh, uh, in wisdom. We are to imitate God, as chapter 5, verse 1 says. How can you do that, right, without the Holy Spirit? So we can only imitate God if we are filled with the Spirit, as it says in, in verse 18. And that's how we do it. That's the essence of our walk in, in the Lord, is being filled with the Spirit. Uh, Jerry, there. You, oh, you you do have one? Okay. I just um, sent Zach back there. Just uh, there were other ones that came in. I don't know how Bill got one, unless somebody gave one up for us. Okay. Well, we have another one here. Okay. Somebody could be later than me. Well, that could be. That happens. That happens. Yeah, Bill already beat you. So. <laughs> okay. The essence of our walk is going to be filled with the Spirit. But we're going to back up a verse before that now and try to get this, uh, I guess you could say a bridge verse in a way, where it says, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. He's already talked about being wise. And wise is taking God's knowledge, being able to put it into your life, to apply it um, in a way that uh, God would want you to, that would honor Him. And uh, so we we have that thought. We're to buy up the time in doing that. There's definitely a sense of urgency, I think, involved here because the days are evil, as he says in 16. We're to buy up that time, redeem the time. So uh, I think we're to understand what the will of the Lord is, no matter what, no matter what age we live in, more than ever before. Um, more than what you were doing two weeks ago. You should understand the will of the Lord even more if, as you would be growing in grace and knowledge of Him. Understand it. If we want to know what God's will is, do we need some kind of mystical experience? Do we need some kind of extra special revelation outside of the Word of God to know what His will is? We don't, do we? We don't need anything extra. We have everything that we need. We can find it uh, by studying the Bible, uh, letting the Holy Spirit illuminate 
what that Scripture says there, bring it to light, to bring it to understanding, and then applying that to our circumstances. And that's where the wisdom comes in. We can get the knowledge from the Word, but once um, the Holy Spirit puts it into our heart, what we know that truth to be, and then we apply it to whatever circumstance we're living in, then it becomes um, wisdom. And um, that's a basic will of God. uh, And it can mean that here, this uh, verse, understand what the will of the Lord is. Uh, Biblical understanding. For instance, we can understand that the will of the Lord is that we be saved. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2. That's the will of the Lord, that that, uh, men would be saved. No doubt about that, right? That's the will of the Lord. That we uh, would be sanctified. This is the will of the Lord, that we would be sanctified in Him. That's in 1 Thessalonians 4. Or in our chapter 5, verse 18, coming off of verse 17, the will of the Lord is that we would be spirit-filled. You notice the S words there? They kind of help you remember. (laughs) That we'd be saved, that we'd be sanctified, that we'd be spirit-filled. Did you know that it's the will of the Lord that we would submit to the government even if the government would be wrong on some things? Or a lot of things. (laughs) Go to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's what he says. He uses that kind of language. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. All that that's been said, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. <laughs> so there is a submission. It's the will of God that we would submit to the government, governing authorities. And if we need any more on that, we can go to Hebrews chapter 13, and we see that the Hebrew writer is saying the same thing. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls. As those who must give account, let them so do with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Context there would be inside the church. But it's it's talking about being in a submitted way, in a, in a biblical way. So he wants us to be saved. He wants us to be sanctified. The will of the Lord is that we'd be spirit-filled. The will of the Lord is that we would be submitting to the governing authorities. The next one is another S word. And this is really difficult to swallow. The will of the Lord is that you would suffer. I wouldn't ordinarily come out with that one. That wouldn't wouldn't bring people into um, a lot of Bible studies if we studied about the will of the Lord is that you would suffer. But we we have to look at what Peter says. This is an incredible statement. I find it hard to believe. But here we are. He's talking about submitting to masters in verse 18. But he says in verse 20, For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, 
because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us as an example that you should follow His steps. I mean, this is commendable for God. This is a good thing that we would even suffer. Now, there was tribulation, persecution going on at this time. As Peter wrote this, the church went through some terrible trials. And you would think, well, if, if he was a Christian, God would have protected them. But um, here again, uh, we're talking about somebody having to suffer for the Lord's sake. Um, and then he gives uh, a qualifier that being Christ, or our model, who suffered at the cross. So there always is the cross before the crown. If it happened with Christ, you know that it's going to happen with the church. Uh, let's go to another text on that. Chapter 3, verse 17. We just don't want to read out of context there, do we? Peter keeps it up. He knew what this was about because he was part of this church at that time. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. If it's the will of God, it's it's better to suffer to suffer doing good than for doing evil. How about chapter five, verse twenty. Oh wait, 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 wait. I got a wrong one there. Do you believe that? And so we'll probably cut that one short. Not so sure what I did there. Good old typos. Anyway, we had two verses on. Is that okay? Another thing about the will of God is that we would be saying thanks. For this is the will of God that we'd be saying thanks. How often should we say thanks? Once a year, right? In November... <laughs> when is it? Every day as often as possible. There you go. We were just talking about that earlier, weren't we? <laughs> Five twenty, what does he say here? Do not um uh, man. Five eighteen. I'm still on that five twenty. In everything, give thanks for what? This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when you're giving thanks to God for every circumstance, every situation that you're in, even though you you know there are situations that we don't really like to be in and, and probably shouldn't like it, but at the same time, being content in that situation, knowing that God is in total control here and I'm trusting Him no matter what, I'm still giving thanks in that He's going to see that I go through whatever needs to be done. So thank you, Lord. Thank you for the breath that you've given me today. Thank you for the physical energy that I have to be able to get up and walk, to be able to talk, to the the food. I mean, you just go on and on. You could give him thanks all day long for every little element in your life because he has given you every little element in your life, such as breath. Anyway, that's a basic will of God. We know those things would be... I mean, those are not arguable, really, right? Some people might argue the suffering and submission thing, but we know that actually that that's right too. Um, I think if you go to Psalm 37:4, if you're doing what you know to be truth, if if you're thinking on all these things, and um, the Lord is very present in your life and in your walk, you look in Psalm 37:4. Famous verse. 
I imagine some of you have this as a memory verse, don't you? Delight yourself also in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. It's not your desires. He will give you the desires that will become yours, but it's the desires that He has, which is His will. So if we're seeking Him out and we're delighting in Him, which is really what it's all about, isn't it? If we delight in the Lord, He says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things, whatever things that you need, the things that He knows you need, then He will add those to you. And so we have to be just content with the fact of, I'm content with where He has put me. In my job, in my family, in my church, in uh, my neighborhood, just every situation. And you can say, you know, um, God is most glorified when I'm most satisfied in Him. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. So, you are realizing that you're doing some of the. You recognize that you're being sanctified. You're you're led by God's Spirit and sanctified, submitting, suffering, saying thanks, whatever. All of those. God's in control. Great. The Spirit of God is controlling. We're being filled with the Spirit, being led by Him, and at the same time, we're delighting in it. Amazing thing. Okay, now that's a basic will of God whenever He says it here in Ephesians. But I think it goes beyond just this basic understanding. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We've seen some of those things. There are other things that say, well, then I'm not so sure. Am I supposed to take this job? Am I supposed to be doing this? Am I doing that? Am I supposed to be doing it? Uh, you know, the, the church. How am I supposed to be serving here, doing this, doing that? Is this God's will? Um, if If you're just attentive to what, what is happening wherever you're at, uh, I'm sure that uh, that will be shown. But if you seek Him out through the Word, okay, will, His will is being done if you're being led by Spirit. But there's a contextual meaning of this will of the Lord that I think will pin it down maybe a little bit further for us because He is using the word unwise here. Don't be unwise, which is really saying what? Be wise. Do not be unwise, because he says in verse 15, see that you walk circumspectly or walk wisely, not as fools, but as wise. And there's a contrast there. Redeeming the time. The days are evil. So if we're redeeming the time, then we're being wise. If we're not using the time that God has given and allotted to us, we're being unwise with what He has equipped us with. Uh, and so He's saying the will of the Lord is, is that you use what He has given you. Whether it be time, gifts, you name it. All of the, the different blessings that you have. Paul, I think, is more uh, is interested more than knowing uh, just what we just checked out about those particular elements. How, how can I be uh, uh, doing the will of God? Those are important. The context here says is use the wisdom. It means more than just knowledge. Have wisdom. It's our perception of what God is doing in the world, for instance. What God is doing in your life, all around you, and what you know. And how we respond to that. So if we go back to 15 and 16, the days are evil. Uh, the uh, This whole age is evil. 
the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one, as it says in 1 John 5, or in Ephesians 2, uh, where it deals with um, we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. And and, um, he talked about... um, the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's uh, Galatians 1 says we live in this evil age. So, being aware of that and then realizing that what God has done in history of mankind and what He is doing right now, seeing Him as totally sovereign, He is very interested in what's going on. Uh, He has a plan. What we need to do is be wise and tap into that. How do we respond to these things that are going on? We can use this for the good, right? So God has given this this allotment. This this time that we live uh, here in uh, what is it, uh, February twenty eighth, two thousand eleven. This time that we've been given is not an accident that we're living in at this particular time. Uh, I think uh, the book of Esther. What was a theme there for such a time as this? What a great opportunity she had. I think she bought up the time, as well as Mordecai, and how they saw how God really worked in that. Even though you don't see a lot about God in that book, do you? But he was definitely behind the scenes. They tapped into what his will was there. Perceive what God is doing now and act in accordance with it. I think that's kind of the idea that's happening here in 17. Do not do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is since the days are evil. Now, what uh, what He's been doing is contrasting. He's been contrasting light and dark, for instance. And here He contrasts wisdom against foolishness. And we looked at a lot of verses dealing with the fool last week and then verses what, what the wise uh, is. The wise man will weigh his options of where he's at. He doesn't just jump into something without studying it, checking out, examining it, looking at that, um, seeking the will of the Lord on this, and then he makes his decision. A fool can be led astray to something very quickly. Uh, He'll go from one endeavor to another endeavor to another. uh, Might even be involved in in, uh, ministries or programs in a church, that which can be very, very good. But sometimes you can have so many programs, this and that, that it really is not doing the will of the Lord. It's just doing something rather than doing something that God is leading in. So the wise man is going to examine and check it out. He's not going to get busy just to be getting busy and doing something, but he uh, checks it out. takes wisdom to perceive uh, God's direction in things. And so we, we use this mightily, this, this Word and, and the Spirit. And once we realize that it's God's direction, we want to follow it without deviation. So that would be an idea of kind of what's happening there in 17. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is, knowing what He has done, what He's doing now. And then we can tie it into our verse 18. How do you understand the will of the Lord without the Holy Spirit, Right? have to be guided by Him. Now, He's going to use a contrast again. You remember light and dark, wise and foolish? Now He's going to be using one who is filled with alcohol versus one who is filled with the Holy Spirit. So He continues that kind of 
contrasting. He starts with a negative contrast. Do not be drunk with wine. Um, contrast, fill with God's Spirit. Pretty simple. Negative, uh, the negative command here, I think, is uh, very sharply put forth. I And I would say that we don't necessarily measure spirituality whether one um, would even have wine if we look at it scriptural here or not. And don't necessarily measure one uh, because they do drink or they don't drink in, in, in the sense that it would be in the biblical way, and we'll have to explain that, I'm sure. But... Um, a lot of times we look at the outside and join or, or get that with our thoughts, and we weigh who they are by what they are on the outside, and that's a good way sometimes. The fruit will will show forth, but there is a lot of controversy in the church over the issue of is it okay to drink or not. And one thing we do know is that it's a sin to what to get drunk. And of course, that's probably where we're really going to start at and, and look at here. But um, I think there can be reasons why one drinks. And I think of one of the biggest reasons would be that people desire to be happy, especially if you take it to the drunkenness. But why would most people do it? Well, it's obvious that it makes them happy or it makes them, what, forget about problems. Drown their sorrows. <laughs> Drown the sorrows. So, the desire for happiness is okay if it's biblical happiness, right? That desire for biblical happiness, the, the thing is, I guess, is um, is it artificial happiness that we have or is it a happiness that is rooted into the things of the Lord? It, it's a temporary escape for one to get into drinking and then he gets drunk because all that does is get him into worse problems and it piles upon other problems and more problems extend out to that. So that artificial happiness that they have is really very shallow. It's not really real. What's their motive? I I think that's the problem. I think what Paul is saying here, the problem with drinking in order to be happy is not the motive, but the means. It, it brings an artificial happiness. And that's uh, just a temporary escape, just to try to get away from it. Well, let's get into what we know to be true, first of all. Uh, biblically, the Bible condemns drunkenness. Um, nobody can argue from the other side uh, saying drunkenness is the will of the Lord. <laughs> We can never use that. I don't think I've ever heard anybody ever use that excuse. Uh, Probably somebody somewhere has done that, but I would hope not. Um, Drunkenness has called the downfall of nations, moral corruption in individuals, family breakups. uh, Think of the automobile fatalities that we have, disease in the organs. Death, you can go on and on and on, and and we know that drunkenness has caused immense problems that just keeps building up, and it's terrible. We know that drunkenness is um, a cloudiness. uh, It's a disruption of the mental faculties, not being able to use the mind in the way that uh, it should be used. It, It definitely affects a lot of areas. 
A person is drunk to the extent that he's now restricted in the way that he can think or act. He's not going to do it in the sharper way than than he could have before. And you look back in the Bible and you see some Bible people, Bible characters that actually got drunk. Um, the first one I think of uh, going back to Genesis is Noah. Remember, Noah got drunk. That wasn't a pretty scene, was it? And What's that? Yeah. Well, go ahead. Okay. Um, Lot. What about Lot? That didn't <laughs> the daughters, right? The consequences of their drunkenness really messed up things for us today. That's right. Um, Belshazzar, guy from uh, Babylon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the writing on the wall. Oh. oh, they were having a good time, weren't they? They were having quite the party, a drunken party, and that's when God gave him the news of what was happening. And I can think of some Christians that were in the Corinthian church that were getting drunk at the Lord's table. What? We find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. So, let's go to some Old Testament passages just to verify the fact that um, drunkenness is definitely a terrible sin. Go to Proverbs 20. We'll just look at a few of these. There are a lot of them. But you can find them all over Proverbs. 20 verse 1. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Well, that fits in with our Ephesians passage, doesn't it? Pretty easy to understand. These Proverbs passages, uh, they don't have to have a whole lot of commentary on them. Chapter 23, 19-21. Hear, my son, and be wise. Guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine bibbers. Or with gluttonous eaters. Uh-oh. <laughs> Wait a minute, I didn't mean to get into that. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. There he's talking about don't be hanging out with them. And of course the glutton and the eaters has is, is, got an equivalent problem that he's bringing forth here. Um you see what sin can do, regardless of what sin it is. You know, it's uh, it can drive one further away than they would ever imagine. Um, verses 27 and 28. For a harlot is a deep pit, and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim increases. Uh, man, what is it? Yeah. Okay. Who has woe? Yeah, okay, just keep going through here, right? Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine, mixed drinks. The mixed wine there is not talking about the grape juice and a lot of water. It's, we're talking about uh, something that goes into the, the mixed alcohol much further than just straight uh, the straight wine without the water. We'll talk about that in a bit. But uh, Just keep on reading down there. 
um, 31, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. That almost sounds like Cassius Clay (laughs) in the boxing ring. Verse 35, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beat me, but I did not feel it. When I shall awake, that I may seek another drink. Even lose the capability, even feel what is happening to your body. Got beat up and didn't even feel it. Didn't feel a thing. I've heard of people saying that before. I didn't feel a thing. Isaiah chapter 5. That is relaxed. How many times have you heard of people that were actually in accidents that had been drinking and they didn't feel a thing? Matter of fact, they get out and they weren't even hurt. <laughs> they didn't even know what went on. Uh. Isaiah 5.11 Woe to those who rise early in the morning that they may follow intoxicating drink who continue until night till wine inflames them. Well, that's being controlled completely by alcohol from morning until evening. Have you ever known anybody that's done that? I'm sure you probably all have. Chapter 28, 7 and 8 of Isaiah. But they also have erred through wine and through intoxicating drink are out of the way. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. What a prophecy Isaiah was making. They are swallowed up by wine. They're out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. Here he's even talking about the priest and the prophets. Those are the guys that were even forbidden to drink wine at all. The prophet, the priest, or the the kings were not to be drinking the alcohol. Interesting. Well, anyway, that's a few of just the, the Old Testament. Just a few. You can go to the New Testament and see that it continues on. There are, are a lot of uh, arguments against drunkenness, isn't there? First Peter 4.3 says, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Now, what's our theme here tonight? The will of God, right? That's one of them. When we were... Before we became Christians, we did the will of the Gentiles. When we walked... That sounds like what Paul uses a lot. When we walked in lewdness, lust drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And it's interesting that once you become a Christian, and he moves on right here in verse 4, in regard to these, they think it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissipation speaking evil of you. They can't understand why you're doing that. That you're not doing what they, they are doing now. What you used to do. Used to run with them. Yes. So, Bill. what is your defini- definition of debauchery um, or dissipation? The, re- the reason I uh, asked is I looked it up one time, and, and the definition I found was self-centered thinking. That's a pretty good one. Uh, it can mean waste, destruction, loss, uh, prodigal. And so, you know, that fits right in with what you're saying. It's really all about self. Yeah, I mean, because going back to when I 
drank past tense. I mean, it leads to self. I mean, when you drink, it leads to self-centered thinking. You know, and like you said, this this search for happiness and oh, woe is me, I'll have another drink or whatever. It's it's all about you know when you're drinking, it's all about you. Yeah. You know, it's hard to minister when to anyone else when you're drinking. It can become very selfish, can't it? That's the biggest danger. Yeah. Yeah. Abominable. Let's go to First Thessalonians five. Here again, same same thing. Um, verses six through eight. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch, be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet the hope of salvation. There he's kind of comparing it, uh, you know, physical things to spiritual things. We're to watch and be sober spiritually, but he takes something that everybody would take for granted in the sense that here are characteristics of a drunk, you know, and being drunk at night. Uh, or they're, it's like they're in a, in a sleep or a stupor. They're not alert. They're not watchful. Uh, Romans 13.13. 13. Oh, the one that Augustine came across that God used to change his life. Augustine was quite the partier, I understand. And he had his way with women and drinking and such. Verse 12, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, and not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but in the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Any kind of sin. Don't make any provision uh, for it. Kill it. Starve it. Choke it. Keep it from uh, taking a hold of you. It's talking about um, uh, a debauched uh, partying, um, getting together with people, causing ruckuses. Uh, I think a good picture of it is whenever um, a sports team wins their championship and people go out into the streets. Turn over cars. <laughs> yeah, turn over cars, burn them up. I mean, just they just let it loose. Just go crazy, folks. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think that's what Jack Buck meant whenever Ozzie Smith hit that home run down the right field line back in the '80s. Uh, you guys remember that? I bet you Eldon does. <laughs> what did Jack Buck say as Ozzie Smith went around with his arm up? Go crazy. <laughs> he was saying, enjoy this moment. I, knowing Jack Buck, I don't I don't think he was in for all that uh, reverend crowsing and drunkenness. <laughs> Who knows what happens after that. But that's some of the revelry that would be taking place, I believe. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. You're in Romans, right? This is the next book over. Five, eleven. Bible has a lot to say about this kind of stuff, doesn't it? But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother, a Christian brother, who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard, 
or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. If one who is a Christian brother or professes to be that way, and he's a he's one of these kind of guys, don't even hang out with him. So, quite a warning. Galatians chapter six. It's after Second Corinthians. Next book over. Galatians six nine and ten. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap. Do not lose heart. Therefore we have opportunity to do good to all, especially those who are in the household of faith. I'm not so sure why I put that one there either. It's not really fitting with what I had. It's a great verse. But I think we've had a few verses there to deal with there, right? I think the Bible has a lot more verses in there than what we just went through uh, about drunkenness. We we know that drunkenness is such a sin that a drunkard will not even be considered to be in the kingdom of God. And I think that might have been the verse I was trying to look for there. And I put something else down. It might be verse 8. What was that, Bob? In Galatians 6. Can you read that? For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Well, that's fits in with it, yeah. And that can take in... Yeah. But Dennis, what if someone's a believer and they have a real problem with alcohol? I mean, is the evidence of their salvation that they get delivered from the alcohol? Well, I think what we first would do... Probably where I would... Yeah, right, I know. You know, because I mean, there's a lot of people that say they're believers and they still have a real problem. Can they? Can can? Okay, it's and and we know that uh, there will be people who were drunkards who will be in the kingdom. We know the text also says the one who keeps this up and that is his lifestyle and his characteristic will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what do we do with ones who have that temptation and such? Well. I think that's where the church can come in. I think sometimes we've dropped the ball because it is a terrible battle. But it's a battle like anything else. And I don't think it can be used as an excuse of saying, well, you know, it's, it's, I'm so, uh, I grew up with it and everything, and it's so much a part of my blood that I just can't give it up. Well, then I think we might have a problem there saying, well, don't, if they don't want to give it up, what, what if they really do want to give it up? First place I would go to is right where we're at just to start with, of realizing that, of having them to realize that you have a greater power. The power in you is the Holy Spirit. That well, Now, we hear about the greater power. I didn't even mean to go into that. They have some good principles, and when they started off with that, they had some great principles, but it turned away from God, and it can be anything you want. It's really about your, yourself being able to feed it, which usually it never, well, I'll just say this, it doesn't happen usually, does it? But if I go to this one, it says, do not be drunk with wine, in which is ruin, it's loss, uh, dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. They have an alternative now. The reason that we can now turn them to this is the fact that if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit in you. You have all the power to defeat this. It's going to be hard, and you might lose some battles. And you, and it's just like all of us who battle with p- particular sins. We know their sins, and we still haven't beaten them. We thought we had them beat, and then 
boom, they come right back up again. And we can take anything. You can take anger. I know that gets everybody because everybody has anger. We, everybody handles it differently, but everybody has that, don't they? So we need to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to get personal here, do we? (laughs) Food. There's another one. That gluttonous thing, right? So we, I think we'd want to remind them, saying, "Hey, listen, I have as much battle as you do." Well, you see where you can get, you know, we can you can beat yourself up on. I mean, there's sin is sin, you know, and and but. I mean, we, we tend to, we will overlook, you know, certain things. We'll, we'll overlook, you know, overeating but not overdrinking, you know. And, and granted, there is a big difference between somebody eating a lot and somebody drinking a lot. Because, yeah, that's what I mean. So, I mean, there's, there's plenty of people that, that have never really dealt with that. And that's just as deadly. It's not. It's, it's not as deadly to other people like alcohol. May not break up families. May not cause crashes on the highway. The, the consequences are n- not near as bad. But yeah. still, we we have uh, we have a happiness we're trying to seek in here by fulfilling it with food, and that's idolatry. So to God, sin is sin. And you're right. You know, uh, I think uh, Bill there too. Galatians six. This is where the body of Christ really can come in. And and this is where we're not to be judgmental about it. This is what we're supposed to do. Brethren, if a man is overtaken, and it sounds an al- a guy who was an alcoholic can be overtaken, it says in here, in any trespass. I mean, he, he's being controlled by it in this situation. We don't go to him in every little situation. Somebody, you know, does something that's little and, oh, hey, they need to be restored. But <laughs> this is something that is, you know, it's it's definitely something that really has to be addressed. You who are spiritual, that's one who is what? One who is being filled with the Spirit. <laughs> Ephesians 5. Restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens Fulfill the law of Christ. So we have to, I think that's where the church comes in. There's going to be some special people that can sit and help him work with him, be accountable if that's the way it be. Uh, whatever we can do to help them out. We know they have a weakness here. We know that that can be there. Sometimes um, there has to be a tough love with, with people. But I think there's a sense if they really want to beat something, they can do it because they even have more help than anything the church can do. It's the Spirit of God. And if they desire to be filled with the Spirit, and then what comes after that, he says, what's the result of being filled with the Spirit? You speak to one another psalms and hymns, spiritual songs. You go to Bible studies. You go to everywhere you can be. You want to cut off the sin, as it says in Galatians, to stop it, cut it, cut it off, kill it, mortify it. Mortify the lust. So whether it be drunkenness or I mean alcohol, whether it be whatever, we have to kill it, and we do it only through the Spirit of God. If we're around the right people, what did Paul say? Don't be hanging around those people that are such and such that do all these things that are considered to be brothers in Christ. But go to be around other people who can restore you, build you up, be in constant uh, fellowship and communion, and uh, you know where they can be prayed for. What happens? Well, you speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You sing. You make melody in your heart. Now you have replaced that desire that you had that is so sinful that sends people to hell and you replaced it with something that is now something that glorifies God. 
And so I, I think if we would look at that and realize that they have every bit of power that anybody else has to defeat whatever sin it is. And the moment we don't use the Holy Spirit in us, if we're not being filled and controlled, then we're being sinful. And so uh, I, I know some of them really struggle, but uh, they can't ever use the excuse of, well, I can't help it, because they can. They can help it. It's right here. Whether they go to certain meetings, which can can be very helpful. Uh, whether they go to Bible studies, hang around with uh, maybe one one person that can really help them. All of those are important. Uh, where they won't go to some other place to meet that need. Well, that's what the church is about. It's to encourage each other no matter what the sin is. That's what, that's what we have to hang around each other. So others can see and we can get to help and they yeah. can encourage you to go on if you can make it past whatever that sin is. That's the end of the sin. I think sometimes alcohol gets a big... Oh, there's a weakness and you can't help it. It's, uh, yeah, it's a disease. It's a disease. Yeah, yeah that's what they term it now, right? Dad <clears throat> was on there. And he compared an alcoholic to maybe cancer. That's not right. No, because no. cancer, you have nothing, no control for living on your body. Alcohol is control that goes in your yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, I think Paul had a religious concern here even more than a moral sense. You're in Ephesus. You're in the Greek world. If you know anything about Corinth, then you're probably going to know a lot about Ephesus. You're going to know a lot about Rome. So we put all this into context and we know that Paul associates this like they would too, the drinking, with basically idolatrous rituals because the drinking of alcohol and drunkenness was associated so highly with all those religions. Temple worship was instrumental to the people in uh, Babylon, in the Greek culture, in the Roman culture, and the height of religious experience was the fact that you could have a communion with the gods through this ecstasy. If you can get to this ecstasy, this experience, where you've just let everything go, and that's really what New Age is about. Whatever it takes, drugs, alcohol, some kind of uh, having a guru with you, uh, or doing, uh, what is the, the exercise that they do? Yoga. Yoga, you get into the kundalini force. That's really what they want to do. and get into, So there would be hypnosis, there would be hyper-frenzied dances and, and music, heavy drinking, sexual orgies, in the temple even at that. And this is how they would get a communion with the gods. You would get to this level. You go back to mythology. You have Zeus, for instance, or um, uh, Dionysius, who was his son. In well, mythology... That's, that's not the Bible. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. When you think about that. Yeah. Um, but that's where he's relating to them. That's their life. And Ephesus is where all the background of those people came out of. That's why he addresses, I think, his particular thing so heavily. Yeah, the, the, the culture, which is, if you put yourself back into the time of the church at Ephesus, or anywhere in Greece, 
they had a, a great temple there. Great as Artemis of the Ephesians. That's what they did. That was what they grew up through. That's uh, Before they became Christians, they were involved with the sexual drunken debaucheries. Alcohol played a major key role in it. Um, Zeus caused a goddess called uh, Simile to become pregnant. Okay, this is in the mythology. But you'll notice how some of these kind of things kind of resemble Christianity. They're not. I, I'm not even putting that on the level, but it's amazing how Satan can counterfeit the truth. And the rest of the world uh, takes in that kind of story rather than what the truth is. Zeus then snatches this unborn child from this goddess right out of the womb, okay? Sows it into a thigh. Now, this doesn't sound like Christianity, but you can see, until there was a birth. And we're talking about, you know, uh, when you think of Christ, you think of the... Um, uh, the way that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. You know. So anyway, this infant God, the reason I went into that little detail, the infant God is named Dionysius. Dionysius is, I've said it many times, is actually the Greek name for my English name, Dennis, Dionysius. And it means God of wine. Okay. This is an important God. He was destined by Zeus to become the ruler of the whole earth. So he becomes the ruler of the whole earth. There were the, the titans. Now this is mythology, but this is at the heart of what all those religions were out there. When the titans heard of Dionysius, you know what they did? Well, they stole him, and they tore him from limb to limb. That's whenever he was you know, with, with Zeus. He's rescued by Zeus, and then he struck the titans... Uh, and and then it was like a, a total lightning reaction, and it reduced them to ashes. Okay, uh, they were like nothing. Out of those ashes, and this might sound familiar, raised the what? The human race. Now, this is their story. Like we say, this is mythology. But this was the heart of their religion. As a ruler of the earth, Dionysius then developed a system where humans would rise to a level of divine or God consciousness. Sounds like New Age, doesn't it? <laughs> if you followed New Age back in the 80s. Well, it's Old Age. It's been here as long as you go back to, well, to Genesis. Okay, in this system, you have a wild frenzy of music, dancing, all sorts of uh, sexual perversion, mutilation, where they cut themselves, drunkenness, and he became known as the god of wine. They would take this intoxicating drink and it was very important to their debauched rituals that they had. It was key. It was central because that would be how they would uh, what would help them get into this state of unconsciousness. Empty yourself. If you watch the eastern religions, that's the biggest thing to empty yourself, to reach some kind of nirvana, really. Uh, we know that once you empty your mind out, anything and everything flies in. So this is what they're doing. They want to get into this uh, way that they can have communion with their gods. And so they had a bacchanalia. Have you ever heard of that? It was a Roman festival. 
at the Roman festival, you'd have all sorts of drinking and dancing and uh, drunkenness and revelry. If you were to go to Lebanon today, and I wouldn't insist going there today at all, <laughs> there are ruins of pagan temples there, of Canaanite gods. Remember when the children of Israel went into the Promised Land, uh, there were the Canaanites. That, this is the kind of stuff that they saw as they went in there. That's why God said to wipe them all out. The central temple was that of Bacchus. That's this Roman... Dionysius. The columns, all over those columns were grapevines. Grapevines representing grapes. Welch's grapes. <laughs> Nothing wrong with grapes. Grapes are great. What comes out of that? The fruit of the vine is great, but what is done with it? What do they do with it? Well, we see that uh, they went much further than what God had intended. That's Anything that's good, that's what goes against God. They, it's used in a different way. So it was it was the same thing uh, happening in Ephesus as was happening there in what we know as Lebanon or Corinth. They knew about these religions. That's where they came from. That's how they worshipped God. If you go to 1 Corinthians 10.16, we know what was happening in Acro-Corinth. That was the temple there. The cup of blessing which we bless. Here he's talking about the Lord's Supper. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of blood of Christ? This is communion. Very important thing, Lord's Supper in the church, right? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread, one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Okay, makes the statement there about how important Lord's Supper is. Well, they were getting it confused and bringing in their past into communion. Look in verse 20 and 21. Or, or at least associating with the Gentile temples, at least right here. Rather that the things which a Gentile sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. I don't want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. You can't go back into the temples uh, and if they're having a, a ritual and something for uh, your cousins or whatever and you go there and you start partaking of what you know to be wrong. You're taking the cup of demons. You've just taken the cup of blessing. Now you're doing that. Then we roll into chapter 11, verse 20 and 21. Right in the church. It says, Therefore, when you come together in one place, <laughs> it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. You're not coming here to do that. For in eating, each one take his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is, what? Drunk. Can you imagine? A, a drunkenness that's happening at the Lord's Supper, at communion, at the table. Can you imagine that? But that's what they did. Because that's what they thought, that's how you commune with God. So they didn't see it such a big, bad thing. That's why Paul had to correct them. Paul was making a theological contrast here in Ephesians.